Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. This show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its Soundness Initiative. This episode is also sponsored by the POCUA, a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. Always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals. Hi, I'm Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have a really great guest. Granted, all my guests are great guests, but we are going to get a number of valuable perspectives from this gentleman. Let me tell you about him. His name is Sean Wyman, and he is the CEO of Going Beyond the Call, LLC. Uh, Going Beyond the Call's mission is to establish a tactical emotional adversity management system for public safety professionals that provides a solution to the psychological, physiological, and relationship impacts of stress, mental health, and social emotional trauma on and off the job. And he is also an active law enforcement professional for the city of Tallahassee Police Department. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Ken. It is such an honor, man. Hey, you know what? The pleasure's all mine. You know, I, I had the pleasure of talking to you before when we had Beyond the Call. Um, traded yeah. a bunch of messages when I, uh, when I covered Inside Crime when you were on uh, that podcast. Uh, and it's great to have you on this show, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, let's jump into us. You know, I, I talked a yeah. little bit about Beyond the Call. Yeah, tell us a, a little bit about the motivation for starting going Beyond the Call. So the motivation comes from a lot of places. It comes from a personal place in my life where I faced a lot of adversity growing up directly and indirectly. Uh, it comes from the military aspect of my life where, you know, just saw a lot of different things and, and had to deal with a lot of different things, including a... Uh, a near-death experience where I almost lost my life in a training incident. Uh, in law enforcement, you know, over 20 years of direct, indirect, vicarious, and accumulative trauma that I've seen, witnessed, and been a part of. And I just realized as, as I was taking all these experiences and all these different things, I just realized that we needed more. I began to understand as I evolved in my understanding of trauma and mental wellness and those types of things that we were missing a huge piece of the puzzle in, and I'll just say public safety, but you know, law enforcement is where we're really seeing the uh, negative impact right now of this. So I, my motivation really came when I started seeing the, 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 the suicides, man, the, the, the firefighters, the EMS, the, um, the uh, forensics and um, corrections and law enforcement. And I was blown away. And, you know, it started with law enforcement. I looked at this um, statistics and I was like, man, this is crazy. How is a trainer of 18 years in what we would call high liability topics, which for those of you in the audience that might not know, that means your firearms, your defensive tactics, and your uh, defensive driving tactics, right? Those are what they call the three high liabilities in law enforcement today. Those are the three major training programs that are uh, incubated into every police academy across the country because you have to have 
a working knowledge and understanding and a use for how all those things work together, especially when you're gonna go out and do this type of job. But what I began to discover was there was actually a fourth high liability and that was our mental health. Yeah. And I started asking questions. I started saying, well, why are we killing ourselves more than anything we train for that could kill us, yet we're not addressing it? And so that began the motivation to answer that question with a solution because I'm not, I'm just not the type of person that likes to go around and go, um, Hey Ken, listen, man, we really got this mental health problem. Somebody needs to do something about it. Yeah. And so I decided I wanted to have something that I could bring to the table instead of just saying, Hey, we really got this problem guys. Somebody needs to fix it. Mm. I wanted to have something that I could bring to the table to say, this is a start point. And so going beyond the call started that initiative really focusing on, and I know we call it a tactical emotional, but it really is a trauma-informed emotional adversity management system mm -hmm. that helps us to understand the uh, what's coming. What you know, Instead of waiting for the ambush to come and then getting ambushed and then trying to fight our way out of it, right. we should be training like the military does, right? The military trains us for the ambush way before it ever comes. We do it on a on a whiteboard in a classroom and basic training. Then we go out into the field and we practice it both as the good guys and as the enemy. And we work it from all the different angles. Well, if it happens here, we would do this. And if it happens here, we would do this. And if they attack from here, we would do this. That way, when the ambush actually comes, we're prepared, right? And preparation leads to preservation. Procrastination, it leads to devastation. So I saw a huge need way before COVID-19, mm -hmm. way before the uh, reform the police and defund the police and all. It was the, the vision was there way before any of that. This is just the timing just couldn't be any better at this point. I really believe that in order for this to work right, it has to start at the academy level and the mm -hmm. field training program because. Um, you know, you get a lot of people that are in this profession like me for well over, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 and beyond. And they're kind of like set in their ways because of what they've seen and what they've been impacted by. And it's hard for them to flip that switch. Whereas these guys that are coming in brand new, it's a chance for us to really recreate the culture of law enforcement. And what I mean by that is we've always been seen as the first line of defense, right? Always you know, law enforcement, the first line of defense. And it sounds really cool. And, and in, in a lot of ways we are, we absolutely are, but we're also more than that. We're actually the first line of healing because a lot of the people that we interact with are dealing with the social emotional problems. And we have never been trained. I can, I, I mean, I guarantee you the large majority of people in your audience right now that are listening in public safety period, I said, how many of you had legitimate social emotional training on what you do 90% of, of the time, just interacting and dealing with people's problem solving issues? How many of us got trained in that? And a lot of people are going to shake their heads and go, no, no, we did not. And I believe that that's where this gaping uh, restriction has happened is that we, we missed that, right? And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to see how many police officers we can screw up. It wasn't. <laughs> it was genuinely, we thought, right? We thought that the high liabilities were what they were, and that was it. 
But now at some point we've got to go back and we've got to reevaluate. We've got to look at this. We got to say, look, if we're killing ourselves more than anything else, yeah. And there's all these suicide prevention programs. We can name them, right? There's amazing programs out there. We would all agree. Yep. There's rehabilitation programs. There's all these programs, yet we're still killing ourselves more. We're still having the highest divorce rates. We're still having, um, you know, all of these different challenges, getting arrested and, and just doing stupid stuff. And, and, and it's not being addressed in the academies. These young kids aren't being taught. Hey, we have the, you know, I remember when I went to the academy 20 years ago and they said, hey, we have high suicide rates, high divorce rates. You know, a lot of you are going to be, uh, you know, alcoholics and some of you are going to get addicted, addicted to drugs. And some of you are even going to go to jail. Right. And guess what? It all happened. I watched it all happen through my law enforcement career. I watched people get divorces and remarried and divorced again and remarried. I watched people just fall under the bottle and just, you know, drink and drink and drink until they drank themselves to death. Mm -hmm. I've watched people get addicted to drugs. I've watched people get addicted to pornography, right? And, and I mean, you, the things that you don't think about that we use as our coping mechanisms, yeah. right? And if we would have been trained ahead of time to say, hey, look, the mental ambush is going to come. There's no way around it. You're going to go to events. You're going to have experiences, and there are going to be effects. But the good news is because you're getting this training now, you're going to know what to look for. You're going to recognize the feelings and the emotions, and you're going to be able to see the, the precursors. And we're going to have the resources aligned with you for when that moment comes. So you feel comfortable and confident to go out and get the help without having to worry about repercussions later. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. One state we definitely have covered is Alabama. Alabama Law Enforcement Credit Union serves all sworn law enforcement officers who work in that state. They've been offering badge-to-badge -badge solutions since 1939. For more information about Alabama Law Enforcement Credit Union, go to allecu.org or call 205-583-4632. And to find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't backing with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals. And you deserve better. Going to, for instance, the Derek Chauvin situation and the unfortunate George Floyd uh, incident, what I saw, and granted, I've never been a police officer, I've never been a firefighter, I just respect the job that everybody does and have had the pleasure of working with a number of those folks, but having had discussions like the one we're having now for close to 15 years, when I saw the first video of the George Floyd incident, the first thing that I said when I saw what Derek Chauvin was doing is that's a cop that's spent. That yeah, this is a person that has seen so much that he has no empathy, that you know, he's not going to listen to anybody, any of his fellow peers. Mm -hmm. He's not going to listen to uh, civilians. Yeah, he is just spent um and he's a guy that if we had seen some of this beforehand you know and been proactive wouldn't have even been on the street that day 
that's what I saw. Maybe, maybe I'm ignorant and naive, but I, from a professional like you, I, I wanna, I wanna hear because I hear from a lot of good cops that said, you know, what we saw was terrible. We would never do that on our police force. Uh, so, what did you see? And and is my take, you know, anywhere near close to reality? Absolutely, I definitely think it is. I think that again, if. Derek and all the other officers that were there, including the poor rookies, man, the guys that have been yeah. there, what, three, four days, right? Those guys, they were taking orders. Yep. And unfortunately, they're going to face repercussions because of it, because they're going to say, you know what, you should have recognized right from wrong and otherwise, but those guys are brand new guys. And I can, I can recall those times where what the FTO says, it goes, right? You do yep. what the FTO tells you to do. So let's look at that, right? Training wise. Look at how many, I mean, they, they went back and they said he had all of these complaints, right, for different things. Why wasn't that addressed? Why wasn't that really, you know, why wasn't that looked at deeper? Instead, and again, this is where trauma-informed care comes in, right? It's not about what's wrong with that officer that they keep using excessive force. What's wrong with that officer that they keep cursing at citizens? And we keep getting the same phone calls on the same officer over and over again. You know, instead of saying what's wrong, we should be going, what happened? Yep. What happened to that officer, just like just like anybody else, right? What happened to that officer that they've gotten to the point that they've lost focus on the human behind the badge, right? That's why yep. I talk about humanizing the badge, right? Because there's something, there's a disconnect. There's a major disconnect there somewhere, and we don't know where it is because we're not there. So we don't know. Yeah. Um, anybody, I, everybody I've talked to, um, including some of my greatest mentors that taught me everything I know about defensive tactics. We all agree what happened was not right, period. It's not right. And the legal system is going to take course, and I believe that justice will be served where it's supposed to be served. I truly believe, and again, maybe I'm off base, but yeah, I think you know, banning chokeholds and doing things that said, and, and writing on signs that say defund the police yeah, all right, that's all surface level stuff. Yeah, I, I think that if you really want to create change, you look at programs like this that identify, you know, cops that are having problems before we even get to a George Floyd situation. Um, and, and I think that's what you're doing here. You're, so you're, your program encompasses the psychological, the physiological, the relationship impacts, as I said, both on and off the job. So give us a little bit of a, of a deeper uh, understanding of, of how your program improve, improves community interactions and mental health, wellness, uh, employment success, and personal relationships. Sure. So first, it focuses on trauma-informed policing. And what that means is going out and learning about the communities that you serve, recognizing um, the adverse experiences that a lot of these people in these communities have faced. And Ken, I don't know if you, have you ever heard the term trauma-informed care? I have because I had the pleasure to talk to you before. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Before that, but before that, had you heard of that I term? had not. I had not. Okay. Guess what? A lot of people have not, but it's a, it's been around a long time in, in the social services industries, right? And SAMHSA, there's federal government uh, organizations that have all kinds of information on trauma-informed care. And what it focuses on is just what we said. It's not about what's wrong with you. It's about what happened to you. It's recognizing that the adverse childhood experiences 
have effects on us as adults as we carry over and we don't address those things, right? So for me, mental and physical abuse, premeditated the murder of my stepfather at the age of 10, right? I never dealt with those things. So those things just carried on with me in my subconscious brain until somebody would trigger something out of me, right? So now I'm 27 years old, I'm getting started on the job and I have all these things that I never dealt with on top of all the other life experiences and challenges that I've never dealt with. And now I'm going to serve in a place where I'm supposed to be at my best when you're at your worst. And I'm what's showing up, right? A guy who was uh, mentally, physically abused, never addressed it. Uh, premeditated the murder of my stepfather, almost shot him at the age of 10, never addressed it. Went to foster care at the age of 10 and saw a lot of crazy, horrific things going through the foster care system, never addressed it. Started drinking at the age of 12 till I started, well, till I went into my job over about a year before I quit drinking, never addressed it. $150,000 in debt, never addressed it. Recently divorced, never addressed it. New father, never addressed it. But I'm the guy that's showing up on your front door to yeah. say, hey, I, how are you doing today? What can I do to help you? I can't figure out how to help myself. How in the world am I gonna be able to help you? Plus, I never even got the training to let me know, oh, by the way, 67% of the population across, not the, not the country, but the world has had some form of an adverse childhood experience, whether it was a divorce, family being incarcerated, mental, physical abuse, sexual abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, uh, domestic violence. I mean, the list goes on and on of these different, there's 10 key ones out there, right, that people tend to um, have had at one point or another. Some have had more than one, right? For me, I had like nine of those in my yeah. life, right? Um, so, and that's, and I'm talking about from the age of birth till you're 18 years old, right? Mm -hmm. And what we find out, and this is what we teach, when you have that type of trauma in your life at a very young age, your brain does things to protect you. It will shut down. It will stop retaining information. It will stop growing. It will stop uh, sending and receiving signals for you to build relationships, right? It will actually isolate you because the brain is doing one thing and it's all it knows how to do, protect you at all costs, mm -hmm. right? So we have to talk about these things. We have to train how to deal with those things. We have to recognize it in ourselves and we have to recognize it that it's going to be in the large, probably the 90 percentile of the community that we deal with have gone through one of those uh, adverse experiences and they've never addressed those things. We have to talk about the generational trauma that we're gonna interact with where you go to a call and the mom's upset because her daughter got sexually molested, not just because the daughter got sexually molested, but because the same violator that molested her daughter was the same violator that molested her when she was a little girl and yeah. she never said anything. She never did anything. So she's carrying that guilt with her because she knows she carried that cycle of trauma over to her daughter. And if something's not done, it will be a continuous cycle. And as we go on, we begin to see these continuations of cycles of trauma. Mm -hmm. So we have to teach our officers that you're gonna to go to events. We call it the three E's, right? You're gonna to go to events. In those events, there's gonna be experiences and there's going to ha you're gonna have effects that are gonna come from those. So we really can't control the events, right? The dispatchers don't dictate where, who goes and when they go. They just send out the call and when it's your time, it's your time, you go. Mm -hmm. The experiences are hard for us to control as well because the people that we're interacting with, they're the ones that really kind of control those experiences. Yeah. The effects, though, 
that's where we have some power because we can go back and we can go to one of our partners and we go, Hey man, that call. And I'll give you an example, right? I had a friend of uh, one of my guys that I work with. Yeah. One of my guys that I work with, we went to a, a death investigation where a 33 year old uh, man was dead and the parents were trying to revive their son who had had, had a drug overdose. And we get there and the parents are doing CPR. They're trying to do everything they can. And this kid's been dead a couple hours. Got to be, yeah. right? But because they're doing CPR, we get there. We got to try. We got to do something. So my partner is doing compressions. And I've got my little ventilator mask. And I got my mask on on the, on the patient. And I'm doing my breasts. And we're, we're doing CPR. We're waiting for EMS and fire to get there. And when I'm inhaling right? When I'm blowing in as I'm coming, like nothing's supposed to come back into the mask, but I'm tasting death. And please don't ask me to explain it because I can't, unless you've gone and handled a death investigation and dealt with it directly. There's no way to explain what it tastes like and what it smells like, but it was very, it was traumatizing because I tasted this, right? And when I got, and you know, I went through the call and we, everything went well and we got, you know, we, we handled the death investigation, but after it was over, I went back to my partner and I said, Hey man, can I talk to you? And he's like, yeah, sure. I said, look, when I was doing the breaths, I was tasting death, man. Does that sound crazy? And he's like, no, Sean, no. Every time I pushed down, I smelled death coming up into my nostrils. Right. So him and I are having this deep conversation with each other connecting with each other, relating to each other's trauma. And then it was like, okay, so it's not just me. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Peer to peer is a great thing when you can trust the person that you're talking to. Like, I'm not worried about my partner going back going, Hey man, you won't believe what Sean said, man. He's like talking about tasting that man, that was what the hell, man. What's he got? He's been in this job 20 years, man. He should know that that's just what we deal with. Right. We've got to get rid of that mentality, man. And luckily I have a younger partner who trained in going beyond the call. He actually went through my training program. And after it was over, he was like, dude, this is, this is unbelievable stuff. And ever since he's been an advocate for me and you know, we've worked together ever since and it's been great. But the point of that is um, we have to recognize that we're going to face trauma. We have to prepare our men and women in our profession for the ambush that's going to come, the mental ambush. And we have to have them ready. So when it, uh, when it attempts, when, when the attempt comes, we're prepared. We're ready. We can go, oh, you know what? Sean Wyman talked about this. Or you know what? I learned this and going beyond the call. Or I learned this in my academy class because this is now, you know, what this is the, the on the baseline for what we have to learn on top of the other high liabilities. And I think until we make mental health a high liability as much yeah. as firearms, defensive tactics, and driving, we've got to do this, man. We've got to get this out there and we've got to start focusing on this. And what going beyond the call does is it focuses on the social emotional aspects. It focuses on trauma informed care policing. It talks about how to communicate with people in trauma, right? That are, that are traumatized. It teaches us how to stay rational in emotional situations. It, it teaches us about ego states and um, just, there's so much wealth that we poured into this book and into our training program. And, you know, I just want to get it out there, man. I know that people like, or, you know, departments like New York and Atlanta, and Chicago, they could benefit from this so much. So that, you know, that's what we did, man. We created this and we're trying to get it out there and let people know that we exist and start teaching. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with you, my friend. Um, you know, not not only at the academy, it, it starts at the academy, certainly, but um, you know, like anything, you know, you don't just learn something about equipment and then not learn about, say, new equipment 10 years later on the job. Um, you know, you're constantly learning. And I, I don't want to harp on the Derek Chauvin situation, but there's been some good examples that have unfortunately come from this terrible act um, that I don't think we're talking enough about in, in um, another podcast, Real Crime Profile. Uh, in talking about the George Floyd case, they had a professional that, uh, and I don't remember his name offhand, and I don't remember his exact position, uh, but does training for the Minneapolis Police Department and talked about the fact that Derek Chauvin specifically wasn't exposed to it because they they do it for the new guys in the academy and so forth, and that he probably hadn't had that training for years and years and years, if at all, because he had been on the force for almost 20 years. And so you yeah. know, the, the need for, you know, not, not only at the academy, I think it starts there, but also, you know, having this type of training you know, continually throughout your career is is needed and I think keeps us away from those unfortunate types of, of, of events. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because another one of the poignant things that you said, which I agree with 100%, that one of the ways to begin creating some unity um, is humanizing the badge. It's something that I've believed in for, for years before we even got into the situation that we're in in, in 2020. Uh, but so when it comes to compu community interactions, you know, we, we've got to find ways to, to move forward. Yeah, is not only the CEO of Going Beyond the Call, but also as, as a law enforcement officer, what are some of the answers, including humanizing the badge and others, where we can begin bringing both sides together to to find some real change for, for both the communities and law enforcement? Man, there's there's so much. I mean, you know, where do you begin? You know, there's a now lot we gotta of begin somewhere, so we might as well begin on this. I show. know. <laughs> I know. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of pain, man. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of pain on both sides. Yeah. I think there's a huge frustration with law enforcement right now because we're getting, uh, what's the word I want to use, man? We're being, um, attacked, looked at. Yeah. Well, we're being looked at as bad because of the acts of a few. Yeah. And instead of addressing the few they're trying to go after the masses and yeah. you know to come on man to defund police officers to take law and order out of society like like if you had told me that that was ever even going to be a conversation i i would be like no way get out of here there's no way that'll ever happen not 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 in the united states of america no way because we'll always you know respect and appreciate the what the thin blue line does right the balance between order and chaos and it's it's interesting because now we we are having to take uh more of a look at the pain on the other side in the community side mm -hmm. and we, we are having to see but i've been trying to address that for a long time to say hey look these people are hurting way before we ever get there right so that's part of what our training does the trauma-informed aspect teaches them 
look, a lot of these people, they grew up in, in situations that you and I can never possibly imagine, right? Or at least they think we can't imagine, right? Um, there's a lot of, um, and there, there needs to be conversations. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that hated cops one minute. And by the time I had the conversation with them, they're like, wow, you're, you're, you're so different, man. You're not like, like, you're not like normal cops, right? I had a woman yesterday. It was so funny, man. She didn't recognize me because I had the mask on. And she's like, yeah, man, I had Sean Wyman come to my call the other day, and he was such a nice officer. And she's, like, talking about me to me, and I'm laughing because she doesn't recognize who I am. And then finally I, I gave up. I was like, okay, hey, I am Sean Wyman. She's like, oh, my God, I, you know, I, I appreciate you helping me with my, my ex-husband, blah, 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 right? And then she was having issues with her ex-husband again. But we have to focus on the relational aspects of our job. We can't just focus on law and order. We have to focus on the – and if we have good relationships – and, and I've, I've seen this done in policing. It's not like it hasn't been done before. Yeah. You know, I've watched great cops that would, um, that created natural sources of information that were detectors of crime for us that we couldn't see, but they could through good relationships by building trust yeah. and confidence and, and understanding that, Hey, we're here to help. We're not here to hurt. Right. Yeah. So somehow, some way, right, wrong, or otherwise, we have lost the trust of the public. Yeah, they have found a way. the The media has found a way. The social media has found a way. These crazy organizations that are out there trying to take us out have found a way to dehumanize us to the public eye. And I never thought I would see it, but you're starting to see it. And they're allowed. That's what I don't understand, man. They are allowed to just publicly go out there and make us look like the most horrible, horrific people on the planet. And don't get me wrong, man. There's a lot of people in our communities that come up and go, hey, you guys are doing such a yeah. great job. Just keep your heads up. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. There's way more of those, but they're not as loud right now. The yeah. noise, right? The one that gets the noise is the one that gets the attention. And right now, the noise is from the other side, the, the anti-law enforcement side. And until we start putting more positive stuff out, and I don't know if you saw my recent post, I think you did, I think you commented. Um, I was talking about creating a positive feed yep. on social media that shows positive things because there are far more positive things. And I posted a couple of them already, right? A guy caught a baby that was thrown out of a window yep. in a fire, right? A police officer. Um, just like, I mean, there's so many of these stories. My own zone partner bought $25 worth of lug nuts for a woman he had never met in his entire life the other day to help her fix a tire. Didn't ask for a thing, just went and bought it. Mm -hmm. You know, told me the story later, right? We share stories like this all the time, right? We, we do things behind the scenes that nobody ever hears about. And that, you know, it doesn't matter, right? It's, yeah. it's just about, that's what we do. Right. And, and I believe that the large majority of us that got into this, we got into it because we genuinely wanted to serve. It wasn't just about um, going out and catching bad guys, although catching bad guys is part of serving, you know, especially when you're dealing with really bad people that need to be put away so they don't hurt society any longer. So there is something to be said for that. But there's also something to be said for just going out and interacting with your community, throwing a football with the kids, yeah. you know, in, uh, in, you know, they're out there and they're shooting a basketball, jumping out of your police car and going, Hey man, can I shoot some hoops with you guys? You should see the looks on their faces, man. They're like, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious, man. 
I've, I've ran football routes in uniform playing with these guys. Or I've had, I mean, because that's what it's about, right? The interaction and the relationship building yeah. is what is going to lead to better policing. And it's going to help us to rehumanize um, something that, that's been dehumanized now in our profession. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was on that post, but a, a really important question, probably the most important one that I'll ask you on the show, when you run that route in that pickup football game and you dive for the ball and catch it, <laughs> does, does your firearm or taser like accidentally go off or no? No, no, <laughs> no, no, it does not. It does not go off. Is that because um, you're not do diving not, for the ball? And I do not. No, I've do I've done for the ball before. I've made my I've gone for the moves. Um, but it's and I don't take my belt off. You know, I don't. I, I mean, I'm running in full uniform with a vest and polyester and boots. And yeah. but I'm just having fun with these kids. I'm interacting with them. I got stuffed animals in my car, so right. I run into kids and I see that they're sad. I've just I try to make a positive impression because there's so much negative in these in this world, right? Yeah. If they can get that one impression of us that's a positive one, maybe, just maybe, that'll make the difference down yeah. the road. They'll remember that moment when somebody is saying something negative. They'll be like, I don't remember that. But what I do remember is when I got this pink elephant that Officer Wyman gave me because I was sad. And, you know, yeah. like, I mean, and that's what it was for me. It was all about positive relationships. When I was, law enforcement was a huge positive in a very negative time of my life they checked mm -hmm. up on me even when I got arrested and got in trouble yeah. they checked up on me they checked on my grades they were always holding me accountable and 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 making sure that I was trying they were trying to do their best to keep me on the right path even when I started to steer wrong and and I never forgot that and I realized how impactful that was to me growing up and it led me to want to do the same thing yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I did, I, I did participate in your Facebook thread on the positivity. And I actually did in a meeting earlier today with a number of executives of police foundations throughout the country. Um, you know, are struggling because some, you know, are like, well, we're going to stay silent. Uh, some are like, well, we want to post something, but we don't know what. And I, I understand that sometimes you know, we, we want to stay silent because we don't want to say the wrong thing. But by staying silent, we also don't want those that are making the noise. Um, some of the noise, frankly, is needed. I think that there is some change that's necessary. But some of the noise is just, frankly, ignorant. Um, not stupid, but ignorant yeah. because they don't understand. So we need to have that other voice out there in a positive way. So I actually used your example and suggested that to the police foundation executives and said, you know, if you're struggling with wondering what to post, find positive stories that are factual of what's happened in situations. Because if you do that, one, you know, you're, you're not saying anything in the message that's going to be misinterpreted. Two, if you are, if somebody is finding offense for somebody saving, for a police officer saving a child in a burning building, well, then they have the problem, not you. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So and, I and like I said, I think that's a huge thing, man. We've got to put more positive things in the feed because for whatever yeah. reason, man, 
I don't know if it's the reticular activation system that, that is like, you know, like you know, once you see something, um, if you keep seeing it over and over, you start to attract it. And then that's all you yeah. see. And that's a lot of what they do on social media. That's how they're able to figure out. Like if you're looking for a new baseball bat for your kid, right? You can look mm -hmm. at something one time for 10 seconds and all of a sudden your feed is getting inundated with different baseball bat companies that are wanting to tell you about the greatest, latest bat that's out that your son just yeah. has to have in order to hit dingers, right? So realistically, you're looking at that and you're going, okay, what if we just start putting positive stuff out there, man, so that the law enforcement officers that are on these feeds, they aren't just getting hammered with this negativity all day long because that can drag anybody down when they don't have the right mindset. Yeah. And, and even the most strongest mindsets, if you don't have a routine and if you don't have resources and you don't have a plan to be able to address those things, it can wear you down over time. And yeah. We're 84, 85 suicides right now for 2020 for uh, law enforcement. That's just law enforcement, by the way. That doesn't include firefighters right. or EMS or corrections or any of those. That is just our police officers. We're at like 85 suicides right now, I think, last time I looked, for yeah. just this year. Yeah, I, I saw that number just a few days ago, so I know if it's – not exactly 85. You're definitely right in the realm. You're right in that window. It's like 84, 85. Yeah, 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 it's right in that window. Yeah, which is which is 80 some too many. Um, it absolutely. is. It is. So yeah, with you were we still have a pandemic. Yeah, we we even have some bars and things closing down again. Uh, we've got mm -hmm. you know continued protest, and that's probable that that's going to continue into 2021. Um, what's your advice to your fellow public safety professionals on on how to maintain their mental health in the coming months? Remember why you got started in the first place. Yeah. Remember what brought you to this profession. What called you here? Remember that, and most importantly. Focus on what you can control and not what you can't. Yeah. You can control your actions. You can control your behavior. You can control your mannerisms. You can control your relationships with people. Focus on what you can control. You cannot control negative media. You cannot control the skepticism and the, the, uh, the craziness of a lot of the, the organizations out there. We have no control over that, right? None. But we can control who we are and what we represent. I tell my kids every day when they walk out the door, remember who you are and remember who you represent and why you represent that. And if you know that, doesn't matter what kind of doesn't matter what happens that day, you're gonna you're gonna make it through it because you have those key things in mind, right? And uh, and that's that's my philosophy, man. Is know who you are, know who you represent, and why you represent it, and and keep going, move forward. Yeah, yeah. Awesome advice. Um, def definitely what I would say too. Um, in uh, in my limited experience, I I truly believe it's spot on. Sean, I could talk to you for literally another two hours on this, so I definitely I, I definitely reserve the right to 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 bring you back in one way, shape, or form because I think that you're not only a wealth of knowledge but also bring the proper perspective. Uh, of the change that really does need to happen, both for public safety professionals and for, for the communities they serve. Uh, last question that I have for you is simply for those folks in our audience that want to learn more about going beyond the call, how best can they find that information? 
Well, uh, gbtc911.com. That's probably the easiest way to get the general information that you need. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to my uh, co-founding partner, Deirdre Von Kruskoff out of Canada, uh, either one of us. And uh, like I said, we'll be happy to have courageous conversations, man. We're all about it. So yeah. feel free to reach out. I'm on social media. You can reach out to me on social media, um, you know, uh, through email at info at goingbeyondthecall.com. And, and I got, I got to throw a pitch for the book, man. Go to Please, GBTC book, go to GBTC book and get a copy of going beyond the call mental health fitness for public safety professionals, because guys, Dave, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman wrote the forward for our book. Right. Yeah. And he said, this is one of the most important works of our lifetime. And that was before any of this ever happened. We launched this book in December of 2019, way before COVID-19 and way before all this chaos began. So how crazy is it that we're in a time and in a moment where this is one of the most important books of our lifetime, it's within reach, it's well-priced, it's, it's half off of what we originally um, priced it at because we want everybody to be able to get a hold of it. And look, not just for you in the profession, for all of you that are family members, uh, you are um, a, a spouse or a significant other of somebody in this profession, this book is for you as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely go out and grab that book. Uh, we'll continue to, to promote it within the POC way. Um, Sean, thank you. Thank, thank you for everything that you're doing and thank you for being with us today, man. Hey, thank you so much, Ken. Such a great host and such an honor to be on your show. Uh, my pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Definitely stay safe out there and thank all of you that have either watched or listened to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we will be back with you in about a week with another awesome guest. Take care and stay safe. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.